0: Hello, and welcome to episode 124 of the Northern Miner podcast. I'm your host, John Cumming, the editor-in-chief of the Northern Miner. And this is the first podcast uh, coming to you from our new office. We just moved across the street here in Don Mills in uh, the suburbs of Toronto. We're at 225 Duncan Mill Road. This building used to be the world headquarters of uh, Harlequin romance novels. They were sold for uh, half a billion dollars, almost uh Just a few years ago, and they moved out uh, downtown. This week we have Rick Howes. This is a a keynote speech he gave at our Progressive Mine Forum. He's the president and CEO of Dundee Precious Metals. He's a mining engineer, over 34 years' experience in mining, including uh, with INCO. He joined Dundee in early 2009 and became president and CEO in 2013. This is, in some ways, kind of an esoteric speech. A lot of big thoughts on mining and innovation and uh, computing power, that kind of thing. So he doesn't get into the nitty-gritty, but it's certainly worthwhile to take a look at uh, Dundee Precious Metals, the kind of innovation they carried out at their main asset. Uh, They have the Celopec gold-copper-silver mine in Bulgaria, which is an old, old mine, and they totally revamped the whole thing to make it modern. And they also have the Krumovgrad... um, gold project also in Bulgaria which they're advancing to I think they're at the feasibility study stage and then in Namibia they have the Tsumeb copper concentrate smelter that's one of the few smelters in the world that can handle complex copper concentrates and they produce uh, blister copper so I believe they treat the Bulgarian uh, ore and then um, they're moving towards toll milling there in uh, Namibia and they have some exploration near a also uh, nearby in Serbia So we have that, and that was recorded at our Progressive Mine Forum held at the Mars Discovery District uh, in mid October. This podcast is sponsored by the Yukon Mining Alliance. You can check out their website at yukonminingalliance.ca, and there they gather together um, all the latest news and profiles of the 17 member companies of the Yukon Mining Alliance. Their sort of exploration and development stage uh, projects in the Yukon, of course, and they have a nice Twitter feed at at Yukon, where they gather uh, all the Yukon exploration news of their members. Now uh, we're going to continue with our, um, this is promoted content, this is a sponsor spotlight, and these are little profiles of the main sponsors of our Progressive Mind Forum. We had our diamond sponsor with Sandvik, which we've uh, played already. And then uh, our gold sponsors were Goldcorp, Hardline, and PwC. We had the Goldcorp Sponsor Spotlight a couple of episodes ago. And then our silver uh, sponsor was Cementation. There were other sponsors, of course, too. The Progressive Mind Forum was free to attend for over 250 people. So, you know, we had the facilities for the day at Mars and then uh, plus a lunch and uh, refreshments. So all that was made possible by our sponsors, so thanks to them. This week we have... Sponsor Spotlight with Hardline Solutions, and this is with president, owner, and founder Walter Sigelkow, a familiar face in the uh, mining scene, and this is with uh, Alicia Hyatt. She's the editor-in-chief of the Canadian Mining Journal. So this is on the sidelines of our Progressive Mine Forum last month. So we'll play the Sponsor Spotlight, take a little musical break, and then come back with the keynote speech by Rick Howes.
1: My name is Walter Siglico, I'm the president of HLS Hardline Solutions, Inc., located in Dowling, Ontario, which is just outside of Sudbury.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about your company and, and what you do?
1: Well, the company builds uh, industrial automation systems, specifically mostly for the mining industry. You know, These are tele-remote systems, remote control systems, and we do the manufacturing, installations, and all that work. It's about, right now we employ over... Uh, worldwide about 130 people now. Uh, We have offices here in Sudbury, of course, is our head office. We have offices in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, Lima, Peru, and Santiago, Chile. The majority of our business is actually done with the mining industry. Uh, Historically, it was mostly in underground, although now there's a lot more projects in the open pit mines also, Uh, areas that are dangerous. They don't want to put people uh, working in them. This is where they'll come through We'll put teleoperation onto a machine, several of the machines, uh, which will allow the operator to then not get close to the dangerous area but uh, still be able to run the machinery.
0: What are, are the latest innovations that you're working on at Hardline?
1: New innovation is, has to do with teleoperation, but it's from extended distances. So, for instance, one of our customers in uh, northern Ontario, the Muscle White Mine, uh, they're running machines from their control centre in Thunder Bay. This is... Uh, quite a, an interesting concept. There's several aspects to it. One of them is you don't have to fly the people in and out of the mine. They work on a, on a two-in, two-out schedule. Uh, wi- by the people being able to go home at night, you don't have to put them up in camp. You don't have to feed them. All the rest of the things, uh, logistics, uh, you know, flying them in on top of that. For a I- very important part, though, is for each machine that you put uh, mine put. put teleoperation on or any automation on whatsoever, it actually affects four people because it takes four operators to do a full 724 schedule, and all the mines run on 724 schedules. So when we talk about a person, it's not one person. It's actually four people that do not have to be flown into the mine, four people you don't have to feed. So you do a few projects like that, then there's also uh, support people that may not have to go into the mine and work in the mine. You know the, the guys like to be home and at night and spend the time with their families and go home and they'll go to the ball game with their kids. So it's uh, it's it's a new way of looking at mining, quite different. And and on top of that, you go to work and sit in an office. You don't actually put your coveralls on and head underground. Um, some of the other projects we've done recently is uh, we have a, a partner we work with in Australia. Uh, about uh, six weeks ago, we ran our test machine that's located in Sudbury, an underground mine in Sudbury at the NORCAT facility. We ran that machine from Perth, Australia. And they had news people there and stuff, you know, was a little bit uh, (laughs) hair-raising, you know, because we'd never done that before. We were just testing it. We said we'd like to test it first, but they brought the news people in anyway. But it, uh, it, so it's it's the first time to, you know, that that we've ever heard of anybody doing something like that. some of the other projects, we're always working on new projects. We're, we've done, uh, down in Nevada, we have a, uh, one project we're working on, which is an automated haulage truck uh, for underground again. But what we're also doing, what makes that project interesting, is the operator of the haulage truck also runs the batch plant. They're moving backfill. So they run the batch plant and then move it across and dump it into the area where they, where they need it. So a lot of projects we work on are not only the one piece of equipment, but it's also supporting equipment around it. Um, Another project we've done is um, mine has several LHDs running underground in teleoperation. They dump down ore passes, they dump onto a train level. So the train is also teleoperated and automated from surface. And then they dump onto a rock breaker, onto a Grizzly, which they run from surface. But all of that runs from one chair. It's not three separate people; it's one system does the whole job, and that's a you know high high level of integration that, that was done with the projects.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about your history and how you got started?
1: Well, the company's been it was started in 1996, and there was uh, there was several partners. There was six guys we started the company. I'm the last one standing out of the original six. We're in a major, very quick growth phase right now. We brought on some higher level uh, managers, uh, VP of sales, uh, VP of operations come on recently. I don't know where, why this is happening but we also have a, over 40 percent of our staff is women. Now in, the, in a mining related company it's actually a, a very high percentage but a lot, of, a lot of very qualified people so we're picking up uh, people as we go. Recently uh, we We purchased a building downtown Sudbury to move our technology center it's uh, I was selling a little bit of a joke earlier, but you know people who live here in Toronto, if you live twenty minutes from work you'd be most people would be pretty happy but we up in Sudbury twenty minutes the people won 't take the job to drive out to our office so we'll, you know, it was no use trying to expand our facility anymore because we couldn 't get programmers and, and some of these high level people that we were looking for to make the trip so we purchased a building downtown Sudbury that's going to be our new technology center um, so that's a pretty major investment in uh, in the in how serious we are in this business
2: I'd like to move on to our next guest here today, Rick Howes, the CEO of Dundee Precious Metals. Rick, as I'm sure all of you know, has carved out a reputation for being an, a leader in our industry on the innovation, on the innovation file. Um, we, we looked at CelloPetch, the work Rick has done there, and making that mine incredibly profitable by bringing in the latest technologies, bringing in automation it has been truly industry-leading. So please, welcome, please help me in giving Rick a nice warm round of applause, and he's going to take us through his presentation. Rick. I'm really embarrassed to be called a titan, so I'll uh, start with, I uh, feel more like a, uh, I always like to say knuckle-dragging miner, as opposed to a titan of the mining industry. Uh, Drag myself around the Canadian mining industry for about 30 years. Uh, and on probably the last nine years spent more internationally and more as a guy who grew up on the grassroots end of it uh, obviously at the front line of mining itself and working on the operational level and then projects and so on but so it's a it's a long I know hey I say it now it's 38 years in the industry and it's that's a long time but so I, I feel like I'm still young and I need to keep doing this but a, my wife and my kids tell me, like, it's time for you to get out of the industry. I got young kids who are in the mining industry, and they're kind of telling me, Dad, like, you're an old-timer. Get out of the industry. Let the young guys take over. So somehow I think my job is now to, to have a baton that I can hand off and say, okay, now take over and, and take this industry where it needs to go. The, t- the title is interesting in a sense that... Uh, it's what I believe, and maybe not everybody believes that, but I do believe we're in a pretty exciting time and we could radically change the way that we do things. And it's probably more ambition that will drive that than anything else. Uh, Is there an ambition in the industry? Because I think the opportunities are tremendous. So we kind of taken the approach that we should be at least pushing the envelope as a company on that ambition. Uh, and how successful we, we are or will be is you know, yet to be seen. Just to put some scale to it, we're a small company. So as so you talked about AgNECO, is a 1.6 billion ounces we produce, we're headed towards 300,000 ounces. So I consider myself to be lucky to be in the same room with Sean as a, as a sense that my ambition would be become an Agnico Eagle someday, but we're obviously not that big. So the four things I uh, would we'll just touch on, one is what is digital transformation? And then talk about drivers to digital transformation. And what does fully integrated digital enterprise really look like, potentially? And again, that's my view. It's a, not necessarily a world view of that subject. And what are the key issues that mining companies face in transforming their businesses? So uh, just a, a survey said that you know, 88% of companies are out there with this topic, digital transformation. And only about 25% of them actually understand what it really is. So we're one of those uh, 88% uh, who really probably are just uh, trying to understand what it really is. What's it really mean to the business? So we're no different. And I think if I were to say what's the focus though, I, I would look at it as really it's about transforming the way we create and manage value. I think if that stays the focus, I think then you've got something. I think if it stays on a technology focus, I think you're, you're not likely to get there. So just quick about us. The only thing to say is we're small. I said already, 300,000. We work in stranger places around the world. Bulgaria's not well known, but that's where our flagship asset is. We're building our second mine there in, uh, in Bulgaria now. It's an open pit. And uh, we have a smelter in Namibia. And uh, some interests in different parts. Serbia, we have a, a development stage project there as well. And I think the only thing I'd say different about us is strategy-wise, we we intend to create value through innovation, and it's an intentional strategy. and It's very declarative in our case. It sits in our vision statement and so on. So so I think everybody, you know, we talk about the mining industry, it would be very simple. I would boil it down to, you know, we're just not generating the kind of returns we need. So the challenging industry, as as Sean shared, uh, and probably getting more challenging, Low returns are the biggest concern I think the industry has because if, if we don't generate decent returns, it becomes an irrelevant industry relative to others in terms of investment interests, so that's, that's not a good thing. And then I think execution track record is probably another key concern I would say we can change, both on builds and operate. And then I think those two being the the big ones I might touch on, but basically there is a bit of a burning platform, I think, for change. So, What's the opportunity and what's driving the fundamental opportunity? It's just the, everybody knows it, just as a change in the speed of of everything that's happening, processing, everything's, you know, cost of data processing in the last 10 years has increased by a factor of 60 and bandwidth's improved by a factor of 40 and... You know, cost of data has gone gone down by a factor of a thousand. So these are just numbers that just say that it's an accelerating pace of technological innovation, particularly on the computer side, that's driving all these new things. That's the underlying driver. And then, so all that means is, is the things we heard this morning. There's faster and faster new things coming on the market that allows us to consider in our business. So what is digital transformation? I would say it's really, you could argue, it's a technology trend. But I would say it's more about a core business enterprise level opportunity in terms of most businesses now have to take that whole digital aspect and figure out what it means to their business from an enterprise basis. You can see it in banks, you can see it in uh, healthcare, you see it in other industries probably more prevalent in mining. But all industries in some way are trying to figure out how all of this really affects their business model and the way that they do their business. And that's kind of what I think it really is. It's just there's so much opportunity. We have to figure out how to use that opportunity differently. So data is now the new resource, right? It used to be ore was the resource. Now it's data and opportunity for increasing productivity and lowering costs, accelerating innovation new disruptive business models, all those things become possible. Creating new challenges for data. The new challenges that go with that, obviously, are things like data access, security, ownership of data, privacy. And you can see those things are coming out in new regulatory uh, regimes from governments around how that gets dealt with. So data is driving a lot of this new age of uh, digital so hyper-awareness, you know, if you looked at it from a point of view of how is it affecting you as a person, individual, I think it's really, it, it's obvious what's happening. Everyone's walking around with a cell phone and uh, collecting all their information and, and they're basically hyper-aware of what's going on globally, they're hyper-aware of what's going on in the news, hyper-aware of what's going on in their homes, hyper-aware of what's going on in the markets. I mean, everything is sort of now and, and by the minute and, and that's the, that is the trend. Uh, and then we're changing the way that we receive services, changing the way that we probably will see transportation. And so all of these things are being driven by that fundamental digital transformation. And I think the big one also now merging virtual with real. So no longer is it just the physical world, the virtual world are coming together uh, in one, one way. So what are the implications to society? And I think that's, this is obviously not a industry topic alone, because it affects every aspect of human, social, and political, and economic activity. So, so this is really transforming society in general, not just businesses. And the control of data and IP, intellectual property, and knowledge, will determine the economic and social and political power. And you can see that with the Mars. If you look at the Mars, what, what is that all about? That's about business. That's about the country recognizing the importance as well that if we aren't out in front in this area, you know, we're left on the sidelines, the future jobs and the future uh, opportunities for the country's growth and for the country's, uh, I'll say, economic well-being really falls away because we're no longer in that space uh, competing. So it's huge. Uh, The the, the game here is uh, the game, but but the stakes in this are huge. And we as a mining industry if we're going to be the leading Canadian, mining in Canada is going to be leading, we have to be out in front on this area big time. Governments obviously play a very important role in constructing, limiting and enabling data-driven economy. So our government has to be out in front in that area as well so that we have, you know, uh, encourage uh, the innovation, encourage the investment, encourage the activity and, you know, play a bigger role in the global picture. And government support of innovation will do either create differential rates of economic growth and new economy jobs or they won't because governments don't take that lead role. So what are the differences in a data driven economy versus, you know, what it's been, I call a non data driven economy. The one thing to recognize is that big data, which is basically meaningless to people, really is, is a gold mine for computers. So where we wouldn't care about big data as humans, but computers can eat through big data. So the key is, is recognizing that that's, that's the case. Knowledge is no longer accessible by all. Now it's those who can uh, take advantage of the sources of data and develop the algorithms that come out of that knowledge and then market and sell that will gain the commercial opportunities that are created. So now we're making money off of data, not off physical commodities and products. Significant upfront capital exploit big data, but it's a very low cost to scale it. So those who figure out the keys to that are the ones that are going to be the winners because they can scale that globally very quickly. It doesn't cost much to scale. Once you have the, once you have the basic uh, skills, you see that with these, all these, I'll say, technology companies like Google and Facebook and Uber. The first ones to capture and exploit it are the ones that have the advantage and they are the ones that tend to become the superstar companies. And, and again, that's obvious. You can see that happening all over the place. And new forms of trade and exchange are happening. So all of a sudden, as I say, it's not so much physical commodities anymore. It's now this intellectual property knowledge around data and how you're using data. And then the, obviously the new challenges around systemic risk to, due to uh, vulnerabilities in Information infrastructure and cybersecurity concerns that are, are now driving things. So these big companies—they're the ones that are, have become the biggest companies in the world. And what are they all about? They're underpinned by capacity to collect, organize, control, and commercialize data. That's what they're doing, and all of those have that similar theme. And now they're the largest companies—the the big companies of the past. Are no longer the big companies. Data and IP are becoming you know an essential part of business strategy for all businesses and new and disruptive business models are starting to come out all the time now because of this and shifting where profits and wealth are being made and created and as I said commoditizing physical assets and restructuring work and jobs and in some cases, upending entire industries. And in order to survive, businesses might ad- must adopt or adapt or lead the change, one or the other. Okay, so now that's sort of the high-level uh, picture of the trends. I think everyone's aware of those trends, so it's nothing I'm saying that would be a surprise. It's just that, put it into perspective, that's, to talk about the mining industry as we're some, some sort of exceptional case, we're not. We're just like every one of the other businesses out there who has to consider this in a big way. So, mining companies are using only a fraction of their data today, that's really just an opportunity and generally that was uh, was said that we use about 1% of the data. I think having been in the industry, I'd say that's probably the top end number. And then uh, from the point of view of what we should be doing in the industry in terms of how we do our business, I, I just said you could pick any area of this business and you would say there's opportunities all over the place now and it starts right from the mineral resource identification itself and through the explore, design, mine process, sell, close, transport and even in the areas around the the uh, you know the social impacts and benefits. So it really it will run through the entire uh, value chain of the business and it allows that we can um, we can reduce costs, improve performance, improve safety reduce environmental impacts and those are the obvious ones but we could also speed up innovation, we could also improve our societal benefits and we could also improve the industry image. So it's sort of a plethora of opportunity. It starts with the connected mind. I think you have to recognize that if you're not a a connected mind and then I add the word smart connected mind but that's the starting point. If you have that then the the data itself that you're going to generate and how you use that data Is really an opportunity that comes from being connected and ultimately like we have a smart home we would have a smart mind at some point down the road and then if you just looked at it from the process point of views I mean you can we can focus on any aspect of the business I would talk today I'll just talk more about the exploit and beneficiate side of it not all the other areas of the business but there, there, there are opportunities in every one and so what are the drivers I mean the drivers are these technologies and they individually they they sort of are just one aspect of it but all of them together form the basis of really driving the overall digital transformation comprised really they would comprise a platform if you were looking at it properly you would not look at them in isolation because together they are what creates the opportunity and drive a need for more enterprise systems because now with this connectivity with this data sourcing and the way that all of the, the business runs, really, you're, you're starting to look at this more like an enterprise than a bunch of vertical siloed functional activities. And you have to integrate them across the value chain. And requires newer, new, will require us to develop new standards and interoperability will be a key buzzword uh, around how all of this gets taken advantage of. And obviously, a part of it is this OTIT convergence piece uh, in terms of... Uh, you're now bringing together your operational technology and your information technology group. So then I I would just talk about the two or three, I'll say, main uh, technologies, and very quickly, and I think most of the group probably more knowledgeable than I am about these, so I like to keep it simple. The Internet of Things, or the industrial Internet of Things, really is just all about uh, getting the things connected, first of all, such that you can censor and collect data uh, to analyze, decide and act on essentially and that's that's it. And so it needs uh, the things themselves and the sensors, it needs the network and needs the systems to tie these together uh, to create the, the solutions. And then in terms of you know where that sits at a maturity scale you know most minds today might be somewhere around the middle of that. Some local intelligence, some software tun- turnable as- tunable assets, some enhanced data feeds but if you went to the far extreme, you'd be talking about uh, additional sensors, real-time analytics, onboard execution software or edge computing, new business models and performance guarantees because basically now you're fully aware in real time of everything that's going on about that asset or that, that uh, particular piece of equipment. And so the level of maturity, somewhere I would say, most minds somewhere in the middle, shifting towards the right. And then I think uh, another sort of view of how I would say we, we ourselves believe in this, I'm not sure everyone believes in this one, is that really the big shift we see is really around strategy and execution of strategy and that dynamic ability to dynamically run a mine where you're essentially able to replan, reschedule, and adapt to changing market conditions, changing environments, changing internal situations you know on a dime you can either proactively identify different mining scenarios and and options to to sort of be out in front of any of the changing market conditions or you're going to have develop on the fly your your due strategy or your due plan around how you're going to make money in in a bad cycle in the industry so that if you looked at where we are today you know most miners would tell you that if the ceo came to his operations general manager said, well, metal prices fell a half overnight, like the crisis in 2008. Tell me how you're going to make money at that mine tomorrow morning. I'd like to have the new plan out on the table so we're executing it tomorrow. He'd tell you, well, call me in six months because that's how long it's going to take me to replan the mine and reschedule it and resequence it and reassign the resources and all that other stuff. So, so, But actually today, the tools are out there. We're, we're testing a lot of these tools that will allow us to do that dynamically. We can actually do replanning in sort of very rapid uh, periods of time, minutes instead of uh, months, uh, and rescheduling and uh, resequencing. And then if we close the loop between the plan and the execution, so in other words, if we're able to say, here's what we were supposed to deliver today, we track a feedback loop that says this is what we did deliver and some things didn't quite get delivered and we need to readjust the schedules and then we need to re- reallocate the resources that's a dynamic process if you talked about it in manufacturing they'd laugh at the mining industry because they'd say well that's just we've been doing that for 15 years <laughs> what are you guys talking about <laughs> and we say no well we don't do that uh, because we aren't able to do that but but we should be able to do that and we're working hard on that concept uh, to drive that and I won't say it's easy, but, but I would say it's doable uh, based on the, what we see out there today. And then I think if you just talked about, uh, so what do we do with data? You know, I think ultimately it's, it's sort of moving in this direction around prescriptive analytics. Mostly today we would be doing um, analytics, but, but on a hindsight basis, not really looking forward to predicting anything. And so now we can. We, could th- we can actually predict what will happen, when it will happen, why it will happen. How do we benefit from the prediction itself? And how will these decisions impact everything else? So that is called prescriptive analytics. And it's possible to do prescriptive analytics today. So that's a whole different animal where you'd argue mo- nobody, I, I don't see too many mines doing prescriptive analytics. They're just starting, I think. But uh, the tools are there and the data has to be good. And that's the big problem right now is the quality of data the mining industry collects and generates and, and, and sort of assembles, isn't good enough yet to, to do this work. So we gotta fix that problem, which we're working on now. Then if you said, okay, what's that look like? You know, well, you basically create a whole new opportunity around value. You're shifting up this whole analytics piece to a level of value creation that's, that's quite huge. Like you're gonna get a lot of value by being able to do that work. And it's machine learning technology, I'll call it, that's driving a lot of this, that will allow us to do this, and AI. But it, it'll uncover all the value we leave on the table in a much more granular understanding of the value, and then we can we can take those insights and use that to execute the, the, the value capture. And then the digital twin is a sort of another piece of this, but essentially it's really about assets and and the ability now to have a digital representation and a physical, obviously a physical asset exists, but a digital and a physical asset that essentially allow you to model and simulate the digital model, test, get real feedback from the physical model measurements and fine tune and, and optimize that asset performance. That concept, you know, which is just, I think again, just beginning is going to have a huge impact as well. We're going to optimize pennies out of every every piece of asset we have to get improvements and that's the representation but essentially it requires the data the analytics and the models and the industrial learning systems combined and essentially allows you to put that all together and it links the manufacturer the designer and manufacturer with the user of the equipment in a, in a closed-loop system which will continually improve the design as well as continue to improve the outputs and the performance of that asset on the site. So then, uh, this all where's this all? Cause so that, that was sort of a, a bunch of pieces, I'll say, of the technology that are coming together. Uh, the Germans were the ones that coined the fourth industrial revolution, and really I think it was a self-serving thing. They, they wanted to be the guys out in front. It was mainly the German manufacturing industry. Bosch was probably the leading... A manufacturer who could coin the phrase the fourth industrial revolution and all it really is is take all that assemblage of technologies and particularly around robotics and smart autonomous robotics and this sort of intelligent system where you're using AI and machine learning and you'll now be running your business or your plant in a much more integrated way with decisions that are optimizing your uh, value or optimizing the performance value that you're creating from that business. That's, that's it in a nutshell. It's, it's a simple concept, or not even, maybe not even a simple concept, but the concept is as delivering that concept into reality. Uh, I, I don't know that there's anybody who really has done that yet. I think the closest to it are the guys in Germany, and I think Bosch may be the, the leading organization in that area. So in mining, I would say, well, we're probably a long ways from that concept fully implemented. And so it it does talk about horizontal integration in the business and vertical integration. And it's starting of this sort of underneath it, it all is the internet of things and the services that go along with that. And creating these smart and intelligent minds or smart and connected intelligent minds as the starting point and then moving up to where you're making strategic and business decisions using data all the the way to the top of the house, which is fully integrated. So your decision about one aspect of the business reflects the total business and the impacts of that decision on everything, not just that aspect of the business. Because we're looking at the business today mostly vertically. We look at exploration vertically, we look at uh, mining and processing vertically, we look at all those things vertically. And so when people make decisions in that area, there could be sub-optimizing the business because they don't really understand the implications of that decision on the overall business. And so that's the real you know, horizontal piece. Technical, I wouldn't get into this other than to say that uh, the one thing that you have to do in this uh, new industry 4.0, you have to figure this architecture out. And uh, so we have been trying to figure it out ourselves and uh, hasn't been easy so far, but... We're starting to get a picture of it, and it's slowly coming together. But the biggest factor in this is interoperability and, and how that gets done, how you connect up all these different disparate data pieces and systems and so on and so forth to do this. And then if you really got technical, it's the stack. So those guys who are in the room who are technically oriented around this, you can, it can feast your eyes on the stack. I'm not going to cover the stack other than to say that's part of the picture you have to figure out if you're a m- mining company. And then uh, go to the sort of back end of it. What's the use cases? What's the typical use cases? I think, and these are just a few, because I could list uh, you know, hundreds easily. I would say these are the main ones, that, that the, the, the ones we are focused on anyways. I wouldn't say that they're the only ones. So in exploration and design, it's really about exploration targeting with big data or body characterization, end-to-end design optimization, which starts to get into simulation and modeling and simulation. And asset management is a big area, predictive and prescriptive maintenance, uh, life cycle optimization, again, the digital twin, anomaly detection and correction. Those are the big ones. Production and safety performance would be around real-time production monitoring, shorter interval control, hazard monitoring and control, advanced analytics for improvements. And then, under the automation side, it's obviously the mining and the operational type automation that we can do, and the process automation. The back office automation, which we tend to forget about, which talked about earlier, overheads in the business, that can be automated now. Robotic process automation can take out a lot of that, what I call mundane, repetitive work. Robots and drones can carry out tasks now. We're testing. Drones that do surveying in the stopes and take actually autonomous drones will fly in, get the information, come back out, load it into our planning systems, update our plans and update our actuals. Uh, all that's happening in, in almost real time. Remote monitoring, AI enhanced decision making, I've talked about, supply chain automation, uh, and then under strategy. which So, this is kind of where the board, uh, the boardroom, and the s- corporate offices. Probably are, have their big opportunity. It's around strategy optimization, dynamic planning and execution of the of the strategy and the plan, tactical and operational optimization itself, and supply chain optimization. Now, optimization has been around a long time, but where it's not horizontally integrated, such that you can tie together optimization from you know from mine to process plant to selling to uh, essentially down the the entire chain, value chain of the business. To do that in one exercise, we are now testing different optimization capability that allows you to do that as a fully integrated process uh, right from one end to the other. And it's only because of the computing power that is out there today, for these are very complex things. If you you don't realize how complex that is, but you can do it only because of the computing power today. Now you can chain together computers and they can do what used to take uh, months and sometimes years to calculate, can be done in hours now. So that's, that's the big change. So what's it mean for work, the future of work? Well, I think it means a lot if you're going to really make this change. It's going to mean a lot for our business. Uh, automated equipment, remote operating centers, robotic process automation for back office automation, machine learning and AI will start to enhance decision making. I think essentially we'll still need the same skill sets and technical expertise, but they'll be doing different work. You you won't be doing as much, I'll call it mundane work, you'll be doing the thinking work or the decision making work with the help of these tools. And you'll require, and it really will require us rethinking the way we organize to structure our organizations too, so, because really A lot of this work that we do today is really, a lot of it is like data collection and transactional processing of information and uh, you don't need to do that work anymore, robots can do that. New skills like data scientists, software engineers and automation specialists, along with your experienced people in mining and processing and and you still need those people. You're going to need maintenance people in the field until a robot can go out and do the maintenance. you can automate the mining equipment pretty much but or that'll be the case in, in the future but you will still need people to support that uh, activity although what people are talking about the robots pulling wrenches so could be the day happening too and then how do you res- how what do you do with your workforce reskilling of displaced workers because there's going to be a lot of that and new talent development models to attract and retain a new workforce so it's a lot of if you say it's just a technology exercise, this is a a redesigning and a rethinking of the way your organization, your business runs. And the building blocks and levers to success, I I would say, you know, it's it's ambition level that's going to drive this. Some companies are going to say, I want to do something about digital and what we can do with it. And others are going to say, you know, we'll watch others and we'll see what happens, and we'll do a little bit. uh, Maybe we'll do this, that. So people will pick and choose, but I think some companies will go aggressive, some companies will go slow. My sense is though, if you go too slow, you could become obsolete in the business. So I think this kind of approach, having a clear approach, uh, a strategy, you know, pipeline and portfolio of projects and a clear process of how you're going to carry them out, an organization, ownership from the top down, governance, collaboration, Funding, talent, management, innovation, tools, all these things are considerations. If you're really going down the journey, you you really have to think through all those things. This is fun. So here's the paradigm shift. I like this one because it really sort of says, if you're really going to be a different company tomorrow that's sort of based on this digital concept, what are the things that you have to sort of shift in the way you think? Because we're running into this now. Companies really do firm-centric thinking and behaviour. Really you've got to shift to an ecosystem thinking and behaviour. You're not going to do this on your own, number one. You're going to need part strategic partners and you're going to need to figure out, you know, you won't have the skill set to do this, so you need to work with others. Profit-oriented versus purpose-oriented. Really looking now at societal benefits as opposed to just pure, you know, shareholder value itself. You have to look broadly. Vertical focus, as I said, would have to shift more to understanding a horizontal focus, fully integrated, end-to-end. Fragmented and siloed systems, which is, again, what we are today, into platform-centric organizations. So you have to build a platform, essentially, that allows you to do this. And uh, that's that whole architecture thing that I was talking about and how you do that. Traditional supply chains uh, would move more towards co-created value propositions. If you listen to the presentations, if you look at Sandvik and others, they're basically offering you solutions. And I I think the other one was interesting, was the the airship one. Those become co-created value propositions where risk is shared, where value creation is shared. Those are different models for the ones than the ones we use today. Closed innovation and slow adoption has to shift to open, continual innovation and accelerated adoption and learning. So if you're really going to make this transition, you've got to kind of open yourself up to that. And then partnership focus has to shift to collaborative networks because, again, the skill sets that are required are, are quite many different ones that you don't have in your organization. I just summarize it, and the wisdom of those two guys uh, far greater than mine. But I think they were very insightful when they when they said those two statements. And then I think for me, I think the new differentiator for mining companies will likely be their ability to leverage data and successfully adopt these technological changes. If you can successfully do it, you'll be a different company. And then I think the business models. This is the last piece. You can rethink the business models quite a bit once you've really figured out how this digital stuff works. So the question for mining companies is what do you need to be good at? Because really, there's a whole ecosystem around you now that's developing that can be better at it than you are. And so how do you put those pieces together and what do you need to be good at? So you can't be good at everything. And you look at most companies today, they try to be good at everything. Mm They want to be good at exploration, they want to be good at mining, they want to be good at processing, they want to be good at this, they want to be good at sales, they want to be good at rehabilitation. They want and they try to build organizations to do all of that. And then skill sets and the, and the ability to hold those skill sets to do all of that. I mean, a case of Agnico, which built that company up. You get big enough and you can do it. And then you, as long as you can retain that talent, you can keep going. If you're, if you're a smaller company, that's probably out of the realm of possibility. That's the, the, the barrier for entry for mining companies has been you've got to have all those skill sets to do it. And now, now I would say that could be changing. You don't necessarily, but you have to th- decide what it is. What is a mining company, really, in the end? What's a mining company going to be in the future? And I don't think it's going to look like the mining companies of today. So I, I'll leave you with that. That's sort of a quick overview of my thoughts on it. Thank you.
0: Just about does it for this week's episode of the Northern Miner Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us and for your support. As always, you can help out the podcast by sharing it and liking it and subscribing to it on your favorite app. Next episode, we'll come back with an in-depth interview with Rob McEwen, chief owner of McEwen Mining. He was interviewed by our publisher Anthony Vaccaro in San Francisco. And then after that, I think I may do a Serbia-related podcast, but I'm just going to work on that one. And that's it for now. Bye-bye.